Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another week of the Ninth Seed Sports Show Football Edition. Uh, my name is Joe Marcellina, and joining me once again, former football coach in the Granite State, Mike Lockman. Mike, how are you doing tonight? Doing great, Joe. Looking forward to talking to some ball. All right. Right to the point there. Let's go. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, we're getting close, right? I mean, yeah. we, we, have, we have more meaty subjects to discuss at this point, so Absolutely. I'm, I'm, I'm excited about that. All right. Well, uh, I'll, I'll get all this out of the way then as fast as I can. Uh, as always, uh, you can send us questions or feedback by shooting an email to nhhighschoolsports at gmail.com or on Twitter at nhhsports. Uh, you can listen to the show Tuesday mornings at nh-highschoolsports.com. Uh, so first up, uh, we're still uh, hoping to grab a sponsor for the show. So if you own a business or know someone who does, I think it would be pretty cool to hear us talking about you right now on the podcast. Uh, you might be interested in being a sponsor for the Ninth State Sports Show, you know, or maybe you'd like to sponsor uh, some other something else on nh-highschoolsports.com. Uh, either way, we're looking for sponsors to help offset the cost of coverage for the fall uh, 2021 fall season. If you're interested, uh, shoot us an email again at nhhighschoolsports at gmail.com. And uh, you, you're still, uh, I know we start the regular season on, on Friday, the regular football season. Um, so there's still plenty of time for you to sign up for your uh, Sports Insider football membership. Uh, with that, uh, you get access to all the football stories posted at nh-highschoolsports.com throughout the season. And at the end of the year, you also receive a copy of our football yearbook. Uh, that's a full-color magazine that contains all of our coverage, along with tons of photos from the year. So you can sign up for that uh, by going to nh-highschoolsports.com. Go to the, the tab at the top of the page that says Membership. Uh, click on Membership Levels, and uh, and you're on your way. All right. So we got, like you said, we got a, we got a lot to talk about. Um, yeah. Of course, we are going to finish up our, uh, our rundowns, uh, previews of the uh, – the other three divisions, last week we did Division One. Um, this week we'll get to 2, 3, and 4. Uh, but before we do that, uh, you know, last Friday was the Queen City Jamboree. Um, kind of the, I know there's there's now a couple other Jamborees that are going on, and there were a bunch of scrimmages last Friday and Saturday. Uh, but, you know, this one, you know, I think we talked about last week, it always kind of feels like um, it, it, it's the unofficial start of the football season. Um you know, just how the way, how it's put on, um, you know, teams go in there and they play a half, two, two 12-minute quarters, uh, full officiating crew, everybody's in full uniform. It's run like a regular season game. It just is, is only a half. Um, so, yeah, it has, and it has a really big feel to it. So we're going to go over that a little bit. Um, but before or as we get into that, uh, Mike, any, anything that jumped out uh, right away to you from that night? Well, I, I think you mentioned it before we we got on the call. There were some there were some results that, um, especially with teams that, when you were, you know, when we were talking last week about hey, who might be some contenders, particularly the D one teams, uh, that that ended up on the short end of the scoreboard. Yeah. Um, so again, you know, we we could both talk and say hey, you know, it's it's interesting, but not necessarily important because it's only a half of football and know all these other factors but uh still kind of a cool little debate point to talk about there probably yeah um you know you're i i assume you're mentioning you know the fact that uh bg uh bishop girton beat goffstown 14 nothing in their scrimmage and uh bedford came back and beat salem 21 to 12 in their scrimmage yeah um you know and to and and you know uh roger brown on, on uh, new hampshire football report also brought this up too you know that, that that those are kind of surprising outcomes. I think Salem and Goffstown were teams that were, you know, if not one two uh, in a lot of people's books, then um, you know certainly up there. And not to say that that you know Bishop Girton and Bedford were are uh, pushovers or anything, but um, you know uh, you know Bedford was a team that went out in the playoffs early last year. BG has uh, struggled at times a little bit, um, you know, in, in recent years. So. You know, to see those kind of things happen, I mean, great for both of those programs. And, and, and honestly, what I was kind of surprised that both were able to do was, um, you know, they were they were probably at most of those scrimmages the, the more physical team um, in many cases, which against Salem and Goffstown um, was, was kind of eye-opening. Yeah, especially because I would say that 
Salem and Gosstown in, the, in recent years have been built on a reputation of physicality. You know, I mean, really, they've had pretty strong defenses, uh, uh, a lot of speed. Both teams built similarly uh, from a speed standpoint. But, you know, offensive line, usually big, imposing, physical. So to flip that script a little bit um, and say BG, um, you know, kind of, you know, they, they have not been known uh, lately for physicality, right? Speed, definitely. Right, yeah. So to say that uh, that those two schools got sort of out-physicaled maybe a little bit is, is a little bit interesting. Um, and again, hard to read too much into it right at this point, but uh, it's fun to talk about. Yeah, and, and I mean, there were a couple things that happened in both those. I mean, like, Goffstown got the ball first on there in that scrimmage, um, decided to go for it on, on fourth and two from their own 27, um, and didn't get it. So BG started at the Goffstown 28, and uh, it took them eight plays uh, and two Goffstown penalties, including one on a, a fourth and one uh, at the nine to, to score off that. So, I mean, it, you know... It, it, it that did set the tone for the scrimmage, though. Um, so I think that I mean that definitely is is I mean it's again you say oh yeah it's a it's a preseason scrimmage you know taking a chance there that maybe you wouldn't normally take in the regular season. But right. I think I think from from maybe that point on though that was kind of a you know if you're a golf sound coach or fan maybe a little little disheartening to see. Um, and then on the other you know in the other one. Um, Salem got the opening kickoff and went right down the field on Bedford. And, I, I mean, just the team speed that Salem has, I, you know, I, I didn't think Bedford would be able to keep up, but they were able to go on a couple long drives um, and, and really just keep the ball away from Salem. That was the biggest thing was just, you know, they kept picking up first downs and, and not letting Salem really get back into a rhythm. Uh, but, you know, that too, I, I don't – with numbers, you know, people changing numbers this year and – um, not having full rosters, it was kind of tough to see who was in and who was out for, for every team. Yeah, it's still an interesting observation to make, though, what you just said, which is, you know, Bedford's game uh, the past several years, and, and, you know, regardless of whether they've been uh, uh, an elite team or whether they've been, uh, you know, an on-the-verge type of team or anything in between, has certainly not been putting together long clock-killing drives. So it's interesting to hear that, you know, they might be capable of doing that now, right? They were yeah. certainly always able of quick strikes uh, and being explosive, and those are the type of things that they're known for. But you know, to to hear they sort of uh, they sort of out outdid um, you know running clock and grinding out drives over Salem is is kind of an interesting data point. Again, you yeah. know, um, you know the other thing that um, I kind of came away with uh, from that. Um, Man, uh, Manchester Memorial looks like they might be, you know, this might be the best collection of talent um, they've had there in, in, in quite some time. Um, I was, Im you know, I was impressed with a lot of the things that they did. Um, the one thing, though, that I, I'm, I worry about uh, watching them is that just the mindset. Um, you know, you're talking about a program that's been, been down for a while, and there were times against Trinity that, you know, they they held their own and they were they were very they were competitive and like I said I like some of the stuff they did but there were just moments where things you know maybe somebody dropped a pass or or you know got a stupid penalty or something uh, gave up a or missed a tackle um, you know you could just kind of see that that like oh here we go uh, you know yeah. what are we gonna do now um, so I you know you hope that that maybe they because they look like they have the talent that if something does go wrong like that, like it's not the end of the world, like that you can hopefully just forget about it, move on to the next play. Yeah. It's one of the hardest things to teach young athletes. I think, I mean, it's a hard thing to, to get college and professional athletes heads wrapped around even, you know, I mean, you see it in baseball, these guys that are, you know, they're great hitters. They're in the major leagues for God's sake. Right. But they all go into slumps at different times, right. Or pitchers struggle and it, it's it's so interesting to see the psychology of some of these teams, right? And and one of the hardest things to do, I think, in high school football when you're rebuilding a program like Coach Sturgis has, has been doing over the past several years is, you know, you can get you can start to get the good talent out, but it's it's really hard to work the psychology with the boys to make sure that they understand that, like, hey, you got to expect to win, 
and you also have to expect to make mistakes. Yeah. And, you know, when the mistakes happen, our, our, our win or loss is basically going to hinge upon how well you deal with the fact that we made the mistake. We're going to make the mistake, right? That's what I always used to tell our guys, right? Hey, I mean, you're going to make mistakes, guys. Yeah. So I, <laughs> forget about that, right? You might as well forget about that right now because it's going to happen. My biggest question to you is going to be, how do you react when we make the mistake? No one, no one right? plays So hopefully that's game. something that the, you know, they can shake off, and, and maybe it's a lesson learned yeah. in the preseason, right? A lot of times it's, ooh, I gave up contain there, or ooh, I blew a coverage there. The psychology, the psychology stuff is just as important, and hopefully the coaching staff, if that's true, what you said is sort of pointing that out to the guys yeah. and saying, guys, you know, we're, we're a little bit of confidence away from being a great team here. Yeah, it's like no one no one plays a perfect game uh, in football or any sport. So, yeah, it's, it's right. just moving on, moving on for the next play, and and yeah, short memories. Right. Um, yep. You know the other, and then I guess finally the the what the other thing that stood out to me uh, was just um, numbers uh, central. Um, you know, from what I heard and read, um, they have thirty kids out for football this year. Uh, just unbelievable. I mean, they, they look like they've got some athletes. Uh, you know, it's just going to be tough for them to, to make it through a Division One season um, with those numbers. Maybe when school starts, they'll pick up a couple kids. But, I mean, they looked like they had a, a sideline. You know, they played Sauhegan, um, and their sideline looked – sidelines looked like they had about the same number of kids on them, uh, which was just kind of stunning. Yeah, it's unfortunate. And you got to wonder, you know, how much of that, you know, Different communities, different schools have all have different cultures, even within the same city. You know, I mean, some of that could be a little bit of um, trepidation around lingering, uh, you know, COVID concerns, right? I mean, it's right. still still hanging over a lot of us, right? It, you know, you, just because the vaccines have been out and things, you know, there's there's these variants and so forth, and you know, there may be some concern about that. And then. You know, the, the, the school populations in Manchester yeah. have been yeah. uh, down as of late, too. You know, there's a lot of charter schools that are that have moved into the city and, and people have migrated to those schools. And, um, you know, numbers in football have been up and down drastically in different communities over the last 10 years. So, yeah, that's tough. You know, Central's a proud program with a proud tradition. Um, now, was it 30 sort of at the at the sophomore level up or is that 30 yeah sophomore from yeah i don't know about freshmen but sophomore up i think most of them were juniors i believe yeah yeah uh, i mean it's not bad to have a junior heavy roster but it's tough when you don't have an even number of seniors yeah. you know if you've got single digit seniors um you know my last year at Sauhegan, we had demographics like that it was uh you know, we had double digits juniors, but we had like five seniors or something. Yeah, that's... and it was really hard. It was a great group of se- uh, juniors. It was a great group of seniors too, but there weren't enough of them to lead. Yeah, you, know, you really need that big nucleus class to kind of uh, to kind of show everybody the way, and 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 that can be hard. So, but it, there's also some advantages to having a young team. So it'll be interesting to see how they do. Yeah, speaking of uh, speaking of the numbers too, um, you know they're. I feel like in some cases, like a lot of a lot of the programs I talked to early on in the in the preseason, numbers were good. Um, people were feeling good about the kids that came out fresh. There were a ton of freshmen. It sounds like, um, but you know, I, I guess now you're starting to hear about some of the the I guess worst case scenarios, and and this one um, is the absolute worst one. Is you know we're hearing that uh, Farmington Newt uh, in Division Four is not going to have a team this year uh, just because of that. That with um, low participation numbers um i think you know that's been a bit of a challenge i think for them every year um it sounds like uh i believe last year they were going to try to play um through covid and ended up having to fold up shop i don't know exactly why but i'm guessing you know it could have been because of numbers um but that is the case this year so division four goes to um goes to uh nine teams from ten uh, meaning that everyone will play an eight-game regular season and have a bye week in the week that they were supposed to play uh, Farmington Newt. Yeah, yeah, that's that's really unfortunate. Um, wasn't it several years ago that that uh, there's a couple of examples though? There was there were a couple years ago that Trinity. Yep, Trinity dropped um, its varsity program. 
Um, right. That was whatever year that was that they went from Division Two and then down into Division Three when they came back, I believe. Right. Um, yeah, but it I was. Mean, I think it was Coach Cathcart's second year, or it might have been his right. first year even. Um, yeah, that's. I mean, it's. It, I can. It, it's similar, but I mean that that to me that strikes me as a different kind of situation, obviously, because you're not one. You're not co-oping. Um, right. And then two. I mean, Trinity. You know, they they. I believe it's a you know it's probably a challenge to get to know when kids are coming in because it's a private school, but also, you know, you can your numbers can change drastically regardless of what your your feeder programs look like. Correct. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think the the message is though it it, it has happened. You know, you look at Trinity, and uh, you know, I remember ten years ago, um, uh, Pelham. They had moved to the old Division Three, which at the mm-hmm. time was Sohegan and Milford and Hollis Brookline and Gosstown. There were a number of good programs in that old Division Three. Yeah. And Pelham, uh, in 2011, only had 17 kids on their roster, their entire roster, yeah. I think, when we we went to play them when I was at Hollis Brookline. And, you know, they're they're right back up. And, and have a very competitive program nowadays, obviously. So, you know, it, it's not a death sentence. I think the message there is hopefully these, these communities like Farmington Newt, for example, you know, kind of stick to it, put a strategy together to try to rebuild it and, uh, and get back in the thick of it because it's, it's not a death sentence. It can be overcome. It's not easy, but it can be. Yeah, and you, you mentioned um, Pelham, but Dover had that issue too. Um, maybe, I don't know, seven, eight years ago, I just... I remember them coming out to play Nashua North one year and and getting the roster and being like, "This is this is it." It was like something yeah. like twenty twenty two kids on it, um, which is probably as you know D one. It's maybe as low as you can go uh, yeah. for numbers. Um, you know, in their their program, um, I'm, oh, I'm drawing a blank on what their numbers were this year, but they're I mean they're back up there. Uh, I want to say in like the seventies range. Um, I could be wrong about that. I can let's see if I can find it uh, real quick. But yeah, that I mean. So I mean, you're right. It does. It does. You know, it, it can fluctuate. Um, fortunately or unfortunately, however you want to look at it. But um, you know, tough to tough to see. And then the other uh, other I guess big news that I you know I heard from the week. Of course, um, Thursday was uh, the NHIA's annual uh, media day where they invite the the media on up to Concord to uh, to just kind of catch up on um, you know on some some new things and what's going on in in the the world of sports and in New Hampshire and all that. Um, but the biggest thing I took away from it was um, you know we I think we might have talked um, either last week or the first week uh, we were going here that um, you know it looked like champ the football championship games were. Uh, as of right now, they're listed as TBD on on the in terms of a, a site. Um, there were some rumors going around that that they were going to go back to uh, being played at the home field of the higher seed, which you know it's I can understand why a team would would like that if they were hosting that game, but they might be the only ones. Um, I think right. I think that for the rest of us, you know, we'd like to see a, a game on a on a uh, one of the you know top-notch fields um that we have in the state here um unfortunately it, it seems that unh isn't available for them to use this year plus you add in the fact that it's now two saturdays um you have division three and division four a week earlier than division one and division two um but it is going to the games are going to be played uh at neutral site turf fields um that that coming straight from uh from executive director jeff collins last thursday uh, during media day, the uh, the one downside though is that they're going to be at different locations, right? Which um, you know is frustrating for you know someone in my position who you know wants to write about all the games, wants to see all the games, and be able to report on them. Um, you know, fingers crossed that maybe they can stagger the games so you know I can go do Division One over. Well, that's here what I was going to say, Joe. Yeah. Let's get let's get the the listeners to do a letter writing campaign. <laughs> to the NHIAA or whoever, you know, and just say, hey, look, you know, how, how hard can it be to, you know, say you were going to go Bedford and Exeter, 
D2 and D1 respectively or yeah, something like sure. that, right? You can say, hey, you know, can you get the the Bedford site going for the D2 game at, uh, you know, whatever, noon? Well, was, yeah, let's you know, say and, noon, and, and then the other one Maybe like roll five. Exeter starting at 4, you know, you can flip the nah, lights on four, up there. 4 is too early, it's got to be like 5, it'd have to be like at least 5 Oh, or yeah, six, yeah, you're so. right, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're going to have mean, time to get a hot dog and get over there and get settled, <laughs> so. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so you could go five o'clock or something, right? Make sure you have enough time to get over there. But but yeah, I I, I agree. I mean, I, I I'm old enough now and been around football in the state long enough to remember when you just you just went to the team's field, you know, for the championship. You know, if they, if they were the higher seed, you just you just you'd go there, you'd play the game. You know, I mean, right. Um, and and you know, we didn't think much of it that back then, but we we've, we've gotten a little spoiled now. You know, we've seen what the the event on championship weekend can be like and it's pretty awesome the way they've been doing it you know it, it it's it's not quite you know foxborough massachusetts when they do it down there that that's that's pretty cool um but it's our own you know it's it, it's our own version of that right yeah it's a bummer that you can't do it but i yeah i i mean the other i mean there's other problems too with trying to do it at the home of the hires i mean this has become you know, the, some of the crowds for like the D the D one D two games, um, they're getting pretty big, and I can't imagine like like you know, let's say, you know, a school without you know, we have two schools in Division one that don't have lights on their field, um, you know, in Goffstown and Wyndham, and right. you know, the this you know, Wyndham doesn't really even have that many how much in terms of stands, you know, oh, how, no. how do you yeah. how do you get? I mean, I would estimate that that some of those crowds are in the thousands for the Division one game. How are you going to get that many oh, people easily, yeah. into yeah. into a place like that to to watch that game? I mean, it's just it's yeah. Not... I remember there was some debate when I was at Hollis Brookline in 2011. Uh, it was way before, obviously, they put the good field in and everything, right, and right. Uh, we, we were just playing back there in the swamp. I mean, there's a like a couple bleachers you'd expect to find at a at a little league field, you know? I mean, yeah, you and... mean you say the swamp, but literally the swamp. <laughs> Yeah, right. We were like... playing back. <laughs> if you drop your hot dog, it's going in the swamp. Yeah, I mean, yeah. uh, but but I remember, you know, we we had a really good team that year, and we were, you know, we we showed up in the poll rankings a couple weeks, and and you know, we had we had we were going to the semifinals, and I remember there was already discussion taking place. Hey, if if we win, we can't host a championship game. I mean, we would have been the higher seed against right. either team we would have faced, I think. So there was already talk about, uh, it wasn't like Steelers, you know, cancel your reservations type stuff, but, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but you know, back from, but it wasn't that, but it was, it was genuine concern about what the heck are we going to do if Hollis Brookline wins this game? I mean, mm-hmm. you can't host a championship game at that field, yeah. you know? So it's kind of the same idea, you know, I mean, there's only so many venues that are probably appropriate for for that kind of a crowd and that right. kind of an event you're trying to put exactly, on. Exactly, exactly. But well, we don't have to worry. Hopefully, we don't have to worry about that this year. Um, you know, and uh, I think that was uh, any any other. You know, as we get ready, I, I get ready for the season. Any other preseason thoughts that you had uh, before we start rolling into the previews? Anything that has stood out? Any news we've heard that uh, you know you kind of. Um, I don't know. They caught your eye oh, uh, before we get into the previews. No, I, I no, I think you covered it. You know, I, I think you covered it, and I think we we spent a lot of time, uh, you know, talking about the D one teams and stuff. So I'm I'm kind of eager to to hear what you think about some of the other division teams. I I am too. Yeah, let's let's get into that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I mean, from you know, from our own conversations amongst each other. Um, you know, and and I'm sure you've had them with some other coaches um, in Division Two. When I, you know, I've I've seen a couple of uh, scrimmages or practices here with Division Two teams, and you know, traded um, you know notes and emails and this and that. Um, and and it feels like I I don't know I I don't know if I can remember a year where maybe Division Two has been this wide open. Um, yeah. I I mean, there's a couple of teams that I think. Um, you know, they look like they could be ahead of the pack just because of the number of kids they're returning. Um, you know, that, that specifically Lebanon and Hanover both have large groups back. Uh, you know, Timberlane has a, a, a ton of kids back. Um, you know, but I don't know. Uh, I don't 
really know if any of or which one of those teams might be you you might say early on is is kind of the favorite yeah it's interesting you know timberlane i i thought you know what's the right way to put it maybe underperformed a little bit last year to expectations and you know it's hard to say because you don't know whether they had kids that didn't show up for covid concerns or whatever but you know they they dropped to i think was last year their first year d2 yeah they went they were played a d2 schedule last year yeah and i remember seeing um i, I saw them uh in a streamed game against Sauhegan and i saw them uh on some of your film that you took you covered them against Hollis, Hollis Brookline, Brookline right? yep yeah, and I remember thinking they looked like they they had they were pretty talented, but they they definitely struggled up front at times. I thought with their offensive and defensive lines. So I think for Timberlane, it would it would depend a lot on you know have they been able to, you know have they had a good off season? Have they been able to build their lines up a little bit? Because um, I I think if 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 they had a weakness last year, it might have been that they weren't as big or as strong as they needed to be up front. Because um, some of those Division Two teams they played last year were pretty elite teams. Like I said, yeah. Sauhegan, Hollis Brookline, they were both good teams last year. And you know, I don't know enough about some of the the, the North teams in Division Two to to really to make intelligent comments. I mean, I can't make intelligent comments <laughs> even about teams I do know about. But uh, it's really hard for me to comment on teams like Hanover and um, and Lab just because I haven't seen them in years. You know, I used to be more familiar with them in the day but um but they had pretty good they had pretty good outcomes last year if i remember yeah. correctly i mean lebanon was was uh, you know uh, uh i mean lebanon was undefeated going into the semifinals against plymouth uh, right and had to had to drop out of that game because of some covid concerns um they'd played bow the week before in the quarterfinals and i think someone from bow ended up testing positive right after yeah. the game or something um, so they ended up having to drop drop out, but they, I mean, they returned some really good seniors, um, Jack Stone, C.J. Childs, um, you know, both two really talented guys in the offensive backfield, um, you know, and and you know, I think we might kind of forget this because it feels like it was forever ago, but you know, Lebanon w- was in the D three final two years ago against Trinity, um, right? You know, and 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 that game was a uh, was an entertaining game that came down to the wire. Um, so, you know, these, these kids, I'm, I'm assuming that some of these seniors that, you know, played in that game, um, you know, have that experience. And then you look at their, their rivals up there in Hanover. Um, you know, they've just got a number of kids uh, uh, back that, um, you know, I feel like, you know, I, I'm, again, I'm not like you, I'm not as familiar with them. It's been a couple of years since I've seen, you know, Hanover. Um, but, you know, I see look at names and see, uh, Seamus Murphy, um, you know, feels like a guy that whose name I've seen on their roster for, for years and years now. Um, yeah, I know that name yeah, too. He's a senior, uh, Colin Pierce. I've, you know, um, you know, he's listed as their, as their quarterback going into this year. Um, you know, he's done a tremendous job of getting himself out there on social media. Cause I've seen, uh, quite a bit of highlight, uh, video of him, um, on Twitter. Um, so, you know, he looks like he's. Uh, pretty good athlete. So you know those two teams. Um, yeah, I would certainly expect in this in this new West Conference to kind of kind of be near the top there. And then you know the team, um, the the one team that that I feel like we sometimes overlook just because they've been so consistent and they're always there is uh, is Bo. Um, yeah. You know they've got um, they don't quite have the numbers returning I think as those other two teams, but. They've got some talented kids back as well. And Bo had a bit of an abbreviated season themselves last year, didn't they? I, yeah. I don't think it was massively truncated, but I think they, they kind of... I think they did lose a game at some point to to um, a cancellation. Um, so, yeah, the, I'm, I'm not, I think it was just one game, but I could be wrong about that. might have been two. Yeah. Yeah, for some reason, I, I remember... I do remember talking about that they had, a, uh, they had to bow out a... A game or two, and that that's unfortunate. Yeah, See, um, but yeah, so it's a you know, again, that's a, that's one of those teams that has been pretty consistent over the past few years, and and then obviously there's the looming specter of uh, last year's runner-up, which is Plymouth. But I think they're they were pretty senior heavy last year. Yeah, so not not a ton um, of returners for them, which I mean, I mean, doesn't necessarily mean you know like they're going to miss the playoffs or anything. It's hard. To, I mean. 
it's hard to ever count them out. I mean, they've played in what six straight champion or five straight championship games, I think. Yeah, although they're zero for two the last two years, <laughs> right? I mean, which uh, is kind of an and, interesting, and interesting against, little trend against uh, against Hollis Brookline and Sauhegan too. So, Sauhegan, yeah. I don't know where. Uh, what other team that you coached at could they uh, could they end up? Um... <laughs> I don't think they're going to play Merrimack no? this year, okay. but I was no. at Merrimack a long time ago, but but for about ten years. But you know, I think you could take what we said about Exeter last week and just cut that into this to this podcast, yeah. and just change the names uh, Exeter to Plymouth. You know, I, I mean, we had said, yeah, you know, Exeter lost twenty three seniors or something, but you're still not going to be cavalier and just call them out of it you know i mean you've got to be you've got to always respect that program and and i think it's the same exact thing with with plymouth right they they may have to reload a lot of those different positions and they may be in a quote rebuilding year but i don't think that there's a coach in division two at least not any good coaches that would say oh yeah plymouth's just going to be down this year i mean you just you just don't think that way about that program because they are well coached They've got a great pipeline of talent that they just continuously seem to uh, have have kids developed and ready to go, and it's it's a good machine they've got going. You know, there's another team that I I want to mention too that I I think we might um, might get overlooked just because of what happened with them last year, and that's uh, that's St. Thomas. Um, you know, they had a rough year where, um, you know, they I believe they lost their head coach in the spring or over the summer, the coach that yep. came in to replace him ended up leaving uh, either in the preseason or, or maybe even after the first game. And then um, Ed McDonough came oh. in and, and started coaching him the rest of the way. He's back again for another year. Um, you know, so now that they've actually got some consistency, um, you know, I would expect, you know, that program to kind of get up off the mat. I mean, they, I think they went 0-5 in their regular season stretch, but then they actually they ended up winning a playoff game, um, you know, before their season got shut down because of COVID. So, yeah, right. I mean, that's another team. And and in this, um, you know, we didn't mention it today. I know we mentioned it the first week, but the, the format of the division is different this, this time around, too, where it's broken right. up into East and West conferences as opposed to North and South. Uh, so that East Conference is now, you know, St. Thomas and Plymouth are in the same conference now, along with, you know, Timberlane, uh, Sanborn, uh, Pembroke, Merrimack Valley, Kingswood, Kennett, and uh, Guilford, Belmont. Mm. So a different look there. And then the other side, you got Bow, Hanover, uh, Hollis, Brookline, Hillsborough, Deering, Hopkinton, uh, Lebanon, John Stark, West, Milford, and, and Sauhegan. Yeah. Yeah, I kind of like those splits. I, I, I you, you, you rattled it off, so it's hard for me to remember <laughs> all of them. But like, no, but you know, seriously, as you went through it, I'm like, wow, those are that's. I kind of like the way that that matches up. Yeah, um, yeah, it's it's interesting. It, it, It'll be interesting to see, um, you know, how exactly. Um, I mean, because I, I mean, that that West sounds, you know, loaded, and maybe it's just because, you know, you've got Hollis Brooklyn and Sauhegan who were, you know, to the last two champions in that on that side along yeah. with you know teams we were just talking about Lebanon Hanover and Bo yeah um, Milford who's Milford's always in there too always you know you, you whether whether they're the the eighth seed or the two seed or whatever they're always sort of penciled into the playoffs right, I mean right. you just they're just very consistent in that manner well do yeah we... now you had seen you saw the reigning champs uh, on Friday night as well. Yeah, so uh, that being Sauhegan, how what were your impressions of them? You know, um, they, <laughs> uh, I think they're gonna they they might take a bit of a step back this year. Uh, to be fair, um, like I said, the the numbers I think are maybe if they're not down, they're they're not, you know, as high as maybe you would expect coming off of a championship year. Um, you know, they were, they were very opportunistic against central. Um, you know, they, they scored off of a pair of, um, you know, a pair of miscues on special teams by central that, that gave them really good field position. Um, you know, they looked good on offense. Uh, they're, um, I don't know if he's actually starting the year, but, uh, you know, Romy Jane, uh, the freshman who's the, the younger brother of, um, why am I drawing a blank on his first name? 
Austin. Austin Jane, thank you. Yep. Um, who was the starting quarterback uh, last year for for Sauhegan. Um It looks like he's going to be, or at least he was the the one that played, got all the snaps last week um, against Central and looked uh, looked really good. Um, had a nice touchdown pass to to Charlie Maroon in that game. Um, I think for Sauhegan's Must first be touchdown. Mike's brother. That would be my guess. I can't imagine yep. that there's <laughs> there's too too many of them. Um, right. You know, but but the the one thing was just size. Like the, again, the the numbers don't look as much like as as much as they have been, and and ju- and then just physical stature. Um, I think they need to maybe get uh, get some of these linemen back into the uh, the lunchroom and and uh, <laughs> leave them in there. For a little you know, while. it's interesting that you mention that uh, the quarterback was a freshman. Now, you know, tough to say whether that's actually going to be their signal caller going into the season or whether maybe there was a guy who was a little banged up and they held him out or, or whatever, you know. I mean, that's why the preseason stuff is always so interesting. It, it, it's, a, it's a measuring stick, but not always the most accurate one. But, you know, there's two programs that always come to mind who have had really historical success with – starting freshman at the varsity level, and it's Sauhegan and Pinkerton. They always seem to have some some kid that they start as a freshman who it feels like they're there for like 12 years, you know, yeah. like, a, like a Jellison or, um, you know, I think of some of the running backs that, that Pinkerton has started as freshmen that have been there for four years. I can't remember the names off the top of my head right now tonight, but, um, you know, Sauhegan has a little bit of a history of, finding some really talented young kids and yeah, they take their lumps a little bit as freshmen, but they're talented and they're smart. So it'll be interesting to see whether that really is the strategy that coach Bockett's going with this year and kind of putting faith in a, in a young guy and, you know, Hey, that's a, that's a long-term payoff kind of plan, right? I mean, you get a four-year quarterback, especially in a system like they run at South. Yeah. that's very quarterback dependent. I mean, man, that could really pay off. Um, in the coming years if, if they build up there a little bit. And, you know, I didn't realize he was a freshman until after um, the Jamboree. So watching him and, and, and then knowing that, I, have, I mean, he looked, didn't look like a freshman out there, at least on Friday. Right. All right, let's, um, let's, let's jump down. Any, any other thoughts on Division Two before we jump on to uh, Division Three? No, I don't think so. I mean, I think the only other thing was you saw you saw uh, Milford beat Pembroke in the in the early game um, of the Jamboree that well, night. Let's say I saw about five th- five minutes uh, real time, not even game time. Thank you to the right. uh, the wonderful traffic, uh, wonderful parking lot has become the Edward Turnpike on Friday afternoons. Uh, right. Yeah. So that was um, that was a joy. But you uh, saw, but a, I, did, uh, I saw. I got there. Chuckered uh, yeah. a touchdown pass. Did I did see that? Um, yeah, I got to see a, a touchdown pass and uh, an, an attempt at a, uh, a two minute drill by uh, by Pembroke. That um, you know, I mean, didn't look too bad. They just kind of ran out of time on it. Um, yeah. So yeah, I mean they they um you know and that too. I don't know if it was just that drive, uh, but they were, you know. In a sp- in a spread formation for that drive, so that that's kind of that was an interesting. I mean, it's been a while since I've seen Pembroke, uh, uh, you know, in a in a real game. So I right. don't know if that's something new this year or or what. Yeah, no, it should be interesting. Yeah, I think like you said, it's hard to hard to put a finger on what could be happening in D two. I think there's a lot of turnover to be dealt with. Uh, there are some teams that we don't know a lot about that appear to be bringing back a lot. Um, you know, we didn't mention Hollis Brookline. I think that's another team that turned over a lot of talent on their roster from last year. They had a successful season last year. Graduated 18 um, seniors. They did. Right. And, and so I'm not really sure what they're bringing back either. Um, but you know, they've been in the thick of it the last four or five years and, you know, two years removed from a championship. So um, I, I think there's a lot of parity there. And uh, it, it, I think, you know, we'll have to keep our eyes on the first two or three games to try to see if any patterns develop. Well, so in Division Three, um, I think uh, you know we we said this in Division One and Division Two. There wasn't any team that kind of jumped out as uh, as a potential favorite. Um, I think Division Three is is going to um, change that trend or, or buck that trend um, because I think it's Pelham. 
um, would be your favorite, and maybe Pelham's your number two favorite. Uh, and uh, maybe Pelham again. Uh, <laughs> you know, they, yeah. they had such a uh, – they had a dominant year last year. Um, you know, really only had one close game, that, that semifinal against Monadnock. Um, they're just so dominant, and they've got a lot of kids returning. Uh, I, you know, I think it's uh, eight starters on offense and defense. Um, you know, some some uh, talented seniors, so they've got a lot of experience there, but then also juniors that contributed from last year. Um, so, I mean, they would, you know, a again, not knowing too much about some of these teams, like you've got, you know, programs like Conval and Kearsarge that didn't have teams last year. Um, you know, Interlakes, Moultonboro played I th only like two or three games, I think. Um, same with Winnesquam. They, you know, they were new to the division last year and, and only played, I want to say, two games. Um, so, yeah, it'll be it, – it's tough to fully say what, what you'd expect, but um, I think going in there, they're certainly the favorite. Yeah, I, I mean – and this isn't, this isn't a comment on where they should be playing or anything like that, I, and I mean that sincerely, but you, they could be a favorite – or, or, or one of the top tier favorites in Division Two, probably. Agreed. I yeah, I think they would have been last year too. Yeah, you know, I mean, they they were a good team the year before they moved down, um, and and had been right on the verge of kind of breaking through. So that doesn't surprise me at all. I I think that they've they've done a really nice job, uh, rebuilding, and sustaining that rebuild. You know, we I think we talked week one about how hard, you know, we were talking about what Memorial has been going through and sort of that slow process of rebuilding, and, and it's a sustainable rebuild, not a, oh, we're going to get a blip and we'll have like a great season or two, and then all of a sudden we're back down again, and then a blip, right. and a great season or two, and then we're back down again. I mean, Pelham has done a nice job over the last few years um, of that sustainable rebuild. And so it, it's, it's definitely... Uh, it's definitely one of those teams that you, you got to figure. I mean, everybody's got circled. I, you know, I think if there's a team, um, you know, that, that can, can you know, compete with, uh, with Pelham, I think, you know, you look at um, Trinity for sure. Um, they've got some good, you know, some talented kids coming back. Um, again, they were the uh, D3 champs going back two years. Um, yep. Certainly a team, I think, that, that can compete with Pelham. Um I think Campbell was was a pretty young team last year. They've got um, quite a few kids returning, uh, and you know, again, they're turning into one of those programs um, that that you know you kind of don't really want to count out uh, too too often, yes. just because of how consistent they are. Uh, Monadnock too, I think, falls into that category. Um, you know, despite you know, I know they've they've had numbers issues at times in the past, um, but but again, that's just a program that that is just solid top to bottom and um you know i'm i'm curious um you know curious to see what comes at what what laconia is able to do um you know that's another program that's got a lot of tradition has been down uh the last couple of years um you know but but you would ex you'd expect that they'd start to kind of hit that up cycle um soon yeah, it, yeah, I, I agree. It's been it's been a little bit uh, strange that Laconia hasn't been in the thick of it the last couple of few years because you're so used to seeing them there, regardless of what division they play in. You know, they've always been very competitive. But uh, yeah, I, I I keep waiting for the you know for for it to get turned because you know that it's going to. You know, right. I mean, Coach Cousins is a consistent presence there; has been for a long time. They've got a really nice facility. Um, you, you just know they're not going to be down for a long time. You know, they might be dealing with one of those talent blips, I think, that you see more frequently in the lower divisions. Um, I mean, you, you're starting to see them in the higher divisions now, quite frankly. I mean, we just talked about Central and, and some of these other teams that, uh, that, are, that are sort of in, in that little down blip. But, uh, yeah, you keep waiting for when – not, not when, but, but – what am I trying to say here? Yeah, not if, not but, if but when Laconia <laughs> is going to bounce back. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, and then um, looking down at uh, Division Four, um, you know, I, I know 
you know, Newport was the dominant team, kind of like Pelham in D3. Newport dominated the division last year. Um, unlike Pelham, though, they, they took some hits there, I think, to graduation. They lost uh, 13 seniors from a year ago. Yeah, I remember looking at the uh, the Shrine and the and the East-West rosters, and I remember specifically looking for the, the Newport kids because uh, I had seen some film on them, whether it was live streams or, or what have you, through the course of the year. And was just so impressed with some of their their kids, and then you know a number of those guys made those all star rosters, which automatically tells you, hey, you know that you know they're turning over a lot of those guys that were pieces of that uh, that championship puzzle last year. Yeah, I think um, you know they'll. I, I would expect them to be um, right there in the thick of things again. Um, but there's a couple other teams I would throw in there. Um, probably first off, Summersworth, which was the runner up last year. Um, to Newport and um, you know looking over there they're returning kids interestingly enough uh, I see a pretty familiar name in there and uh, you know potentially um, starting I, I think he's going to be the starting quarterback junior uh, Jeff DeCorn uh, that name sounds uh, familiar he is uh, actually the younger brother of Sean DeCorn who was yep. a very talented quarterback at St. Thomas a couple years ago um, so I, I'm you know I don't want to put too much on the kid, but um, I mean that's a if he's anything like his brother, I would expect that to be a, a, a big uh, big thing for Summersworth to have him coming back. Yeah, um, you know, and then I think the other team is uh, is Raymond. Um, they return a lot of guys too, um, some of whom were uh, were first team All State guys in Division Four. So uh, I would expect them to be in the mix as well. Yeah, and Raymond's had a, a good couple years. You know, they've sort of been in the middle of the pack um, historically. And I think the last couple of years, they've really done a good job of sort of breaking into it a little bit and, and um, you know, outperforming their normal. So, yeah, definitely. And then uh, the one more team to kind of keep an eye on uh, is uh, would be Bishop Brady. Um, you know, if, if for no other reason than uh, just to see what – uh, their head coach, um, Tony Johnson, does in his second year uh, with the Giants. Uh, of course, uh, former Bishop Girton coach, um, you know, has had some teams with the Cardinals that are, are historically, I think, looked at as some of the best in New Hampshire. Um, you know, coaching up at, in Concord at a Division Four school. Uh, also being the athletic director up there, too. Uh, I'm really interested to see what uh, what that program does in his second year. Yeah, I, I mean, I remember when I was coaching at Merrimack in the old Division Two, which had Exeter and uh, Bishop Girton and a lot of the Seacoast teams, you know, Timberlane, Winnicott, et cetera. This was back in you know, sort of the 2003-04 time frame, and that was when Bishop Girton under Tony Johnson, it, it just felt like it was them and Exeter every year. Yeah, and yeah. There was a period of time, though, where, it, where BG owned that edge, and I can remember um, – I can remember BG opening up in a crossover game with Pinkerton week one. It was probably in 2004 or five and BG took it under coach Johnson, took it to Pinkerton that night, <laughs> uh, you know, and, and just being like, wow, you know I mean? And now all those teams of course play together in division one. Yeah, you know, right, it was a really right. good division two back then. And uh, you know, those teams were so well coached. They were tough. They had great athletes. And if Tony Johnson's bringing that kind of flavor to uh, to his new team, um, yeah, they're they're you know again it might be a bit of a building process. It, we all know it doesn't it doesn't take just a year, right? But but a lot of times you can tell a lot in a year or two because you had those guys under your system for a little while, and um, it, it it's not as much of a culture shock having that new coach and the new language and all that kind of stuff that you're trying to figure out. It's uh, it's a little bit smoother for everybody, so I would expect them to be improved. All right, so we uh, we kind of gave you a glimpse of uh, what's to come uh, or, or what we expect uh, the season or, or teams to look like this season in each division. Like we said, games start on Friday this week. Um, any uh, any game that jumps out to you, um, you know, uh, uh, on that first uh, first weekend of football that, um, you know, you're re really interested to see what the outcome is going to be? Oh, there were so many of them when we <laughs> went through the, the preview. Um, what was the big 
what was the big Division One one that we? Were I mean, there at? were there, there were a... like there were like three, um, on that Friday night alone. I mean, you've got Salem at Nashua South. That was the um, one. Bedford at Winniconnet, <laughs> and yep. Goffstown at Exeter, and uh, Memorial at Dover are the 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 four that I would probably, you know, pinpoint as kind of top games to to open up the season. Yeah. Yeah, I was I was really interested in that Nashua South game. Yeah. Um, that's a big deal. Um, you know, again, because Nashua South was one of those teams we had highlighted as, um, you know, a, a potential team that could be there. Um, Salem as well, you know, so that that's that's a big battle. Yeah, I, uh, my plan is to be there on Friday. Um, gonna be a, gonna be a busy afternoon because I, I was gonna hit up, uh, Dover at Wyndham Field Hockey there uh, at four o'clock before the game, because that's a uh, that's a rematch of last year's Division One final. Yep. And then uh, haul my butt over to uh, to Stello Stadium hopefully before that six thirty kickoff um, on Friday. So. Yeah. What's if, up with the earlier kickoffs? This oh, they've year? been no, they uh, Nashua has been doing that for a couple years. The six thirty kickoffs. Yeah, just try. I guess just try to get everybody in and out a little bit earlier. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I'm, I'm, I understand. It's, just, it's been seven for so long for most <laughs> teams that, you know, you get used to that. You get in a rhythm. You know, you're like, oh, I can go get a little dinner first, yep, and, yep. you know, do this and that. And I mean, I like getting home earlier, but it, it, uh, it, you know, the conspiracy theorists would be would say, hey, they're trying to drive up, uh, they're trying to drive up concession sales because <laughs> <laughs> they know people don't have enough time to go to dinner first. I'm sure uh, that's not the reason, but it's it's funny to think of it that well, way. If if you happen to see me uh, on Friday running, uh, like my hair's on fire, um, and I and you know you you try to say hi and I don't say anything, I'll apologize now because I'll be trying to get from one place to the other rather quickly. Yeah. Um, no, it's re- hey, you're right back in the thick of it, Joe. This is where you long to go. be, right? Yeah. Here we go. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, I think that's gonna probably uh, probably do it for us this week. Um, any other final thoughts or any final thoughts uh, before we go? No, man. It's here. I'm, it, it's <laughs> here. I'm sure the coaches and the players are ready to go, and I'm excited to see what they're bringing to the table this season. It's been uh, it's been a crazy journey to get back to some form of normalcy, and so I think I think everybody involved deserves uh, a great season this year. So best of luck to everybody. Yeah, hopefully we can uh, we make it through to the end with no problems. Um, yeah, but here we go. We're uh, next week. We'll be talking about week one results from the week one of uh, the twenty twenty one football season. So, yep. Yeah, it's here. Well, uh, thanks thanks again, Mike, for uh, for doing this and and for joining us. Always a pleasure. He is Mike Lockman. I'm Joe Marcellina. We'll talk to you again next week. <laughs>